Hey, everybody. Welcome to the World Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you, inspires you, and more than anything, helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus. For more information and resources, please visit us at worldharvestusa.com. to have been given the opportunity to speak with you guys this weekend. Yay! Hopefully I don't screw you guys up too much, but Pastor Bob will fix you tomorrow. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) So I don't have any cool jokes because Pastor Bob has all of them, but I do have an amazing testimony, and I hope it's okay if I share it. Yeah, I'm going to share it. It's not yours, it's Jesus's, so... (laughs) Somebody once said, I heard a a pastor once say, you can steal testimonies because they don't belong to the person. It's about Jesus. So steal the testimonies. Steal my testimonies. I don't care. So when my husband preached, I don't even know when, a month or two ago, my in-laws came from Minnesota. And my mother-in-law, beautiful Sherry, her sister has been dealing with leukemia for the last seven years. And she's had treatments. She's had transplants, she's had radiation, she's had all of the things, and she's still, I, I spent a lot of time talking with Sherry about her sister and encouraging her and praying for her and praying with her, and that night that she was here for when Mike preached, she raised her hand during transition when we did the, hey, does anybody have a need in their body, and she said, I, I need prayer for my sister, and I called my friend Jen over because she's the certified healing specialist. She's got a license to heal. We all do. We all have it. It's in the word of God. It's in red. So I called Jen over and we prayed for her. And I believe that Sherry felt the presence of God that night based on the tears and snot and crying and all that. So she just told me tonight, I don't think I've even seen you since that night, but she told us tonight when she got here that her sister is cancer free. (laughs) Cancer free. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Seven years. Seven years. That's our God. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve and love. Thank you, Jesus. Holy moly. Right? All right. So that was really good. That's better than a joke. So I'm going to hit you with some really cool things that I learned, okay? These are kind of fun facts. Did you know that there are 352 quintillion gallons of water in the ocean? And that's a real measurement. Yeah, that's real. In all the oceans, like on the whole planet. Quintillion. 352 of them. And yet the Word of God says that God measures the oceans in the palm of his hand. Wow. Wow. I'm so glad you guys are reacting like that. Cool. I was like, are they going to like this or not? Cool. The earth weighs 6.585 billion trillion tons. Again, real measurement, I think. I don't know. I didn't double check that. But God weighed the earth in his hand. Mount Everest alone is more than 350 trillion pounds. And God weighed the mountains and hills on a scale. I know this because Isaiah 40, verse 12 says so. Hi, Esther. Esther, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Okay, more fun facts. 
There are approximately 100 billion stars in our galaxy, and there are known currently to be 100 billion galaxies. So that means that there's approximately 200 billion trillion stars that science can currently account for, and they estimate that that's going to more than double very soon. But did you know that God measures the universe with the span of his hand? That's from thumb to pinky. All of those stars, right? Psalms 147.4 says that God counts the stars and knows them all by name. Psalms 8.3 said God arranged the stars with his fingers. And yet he measures the universe with the span of his hand. Did you know that the nearest star, I promise I won't do this the whole night, but it's pretty cool stuff, right? Did you know that the nearest star to Earth is more than 25 trillion miles away? And we just have to drive 45 minutes to church. Like, that's a good deal. So the Voyager 1 spacecraft can, spacecraft can travel at speeds of 38,210 miles per hour. And at that speed it would take over 73,000 years to get to the nearest star. Yet God measures the entire universe made up of more than 200 billion trillion stars with the palm of his hand. Yeah, it's a big God. Amen. We serve a big God. Yes. Leukemia ain't got nothing on our God. All right, let's pray. God, you are so vast you are so mighty. There is none like you in all the heavens or the earth. Lord, what could I possibly have that you could ever need? But if you can use me, then I say yes. Anoint my words for your purpose, and we say, kingdom come, your will be done. We love you and thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so... I gave them some scriptures. You don't have to turn to this one if you don't want to, but if you're really fast, you totally should. So we're going to look at Psalms 19, verses 1 through 4 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, and night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. The stars were made to worship, and they have never stopped. Wow. So the other night, I was getting ready for tonight, and I was in worship, and the wonderful song that I was listening to said, let us magnify the Lord. And I thought, after learning all that stuff, I thought, how in the world could I magnify the Lord? He's so big. How could I possibly make him bigger than he already is? The word magnify actually means to make something bigger than it is or make something appear larger than it actually is. You look like somebody that I was really good friends with in high school. I don't know who you are. Yeah, you're really beautiful. God really loves you. Hannah, God really loves you. He's got something really special for you tonight. Yeah, wow, okay, sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> Okay, another word for magnify is to exalt. And exalt means to raise to a higher rank or position of greater power. 
So let's think about this. Why would we tell ourselves to magnify the Lord who measured the universe with the span of his hand? And how could we possibly raise Jesus to a higher rank or position of greater power when the Bible says that God reigns over the nations and sits on his holy throne and he is clothed in majesty and that he's king forever and ever from generation to generation? Another cool fun thing that I learned was about these angelic creatures called the seraphim. You should look them up in the Bible. It's pretty cool. These angels surround the throne of God day and night and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. They always have and they always will. From the beginning of time, which do you know when that was? I don't. It was a really long time ago. I'm pretty sure billion trillion doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Right? They've been, cry- they've been surrounding the throne of God, crying out, holy, 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 since forever. And they will continue forever. And I thought, man, do they get like a script? Is this their job? Is this what they're created to do? Like, so I kind of looked into them because I wanted to know more about the seraphim. So the word seraphim is from the Hebrew word for burn. It actually means they're the burning ones. They burn for God. They have six wings, and with two of them, they cover their faces because the blinding glory of God is too much for them to behold. But even through their veiled eyes, they see different facets of God every moment, for forever, from eternity into eternity. And they cry out in response to him, holy, holy, holy. They can't help it. They can't even, they don't even have like a clear glimpse because the blinding glory of God is too much for them because they're created beings. But what they can see every moment, every single moment, they see a new facet of him. That's a big God. I mean, I've been married to my husband for how long? And I do not know. I mean, I know, I pretty much know him. I can pretty much guess how the day is going to go, right? You get to know somebody and you get to know them. But God is, we can, we can, when we should seek to know him. But there's a new facet of him every moment for eternity. And these seraphim are so overwhelmed that they all together cry out, holy, like, You ever see something cool and you're like, holy moly, look at that thing. Holy cow, that was amazing, right? Same thing, but not, but like way bigger. (laughs) Did you know that when they cry out like this, their combined cry is so powerful and so loud that the doorposts of heaven shake and smoke fills the throne room? Holy moly. Did you, have you ever, like, I don't know, maybe you have a husband like mine and we watch a lot of Marvel movies and we have the surround sound on and you can, like, hear the walls shaking. If you go to cell group, which you should, if you don't, we can hook you up. We got that worship blasting and we turn on that surround sound and the walls shake. You go to the bathroom and you're like, ooh, it's a small space and the walls are shaking. Can you imagine? That's just my house. The structural foundation of the throne room of heaven, the walls are shaking. The doorposts are shaking. That's how great this cry is. 
So I think when we read in Psalms 34, verse 1, where it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I don't think it's saying that God is small and we need to make him bigger. I think it's saying that we have made God small and therefore we need to magnify him in our eyes. Maybe, you know, talking about exalt, raising to greater power. I think we're seeing greater power. I know I've been seeing it in our church and in our cell groups and in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. We want to keep raising, magnify you. I want more of you. I think maybe we're not, if we're not, maybe it's because we've made him too small. We're not giving him the authority or the right or the space to have greater power in our life. So I think it's fun that we often criticize the Israelites for making a golden calf right after they walked through the Red Sea and on dry ground. I don't know about you guys, but the snow melted and it's a lot of mud. Could you imagine like the Red Sea parting and they're in dry ground. They don't get stuck in the mud. Their shoes are not filthy, right? They walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. They're eating fresh manna from heaven. They got a cloud to shelter them from the sun by day. They've got the fire to keep them warm at night. They are you would think, living it up. And we criticize them because we're like, why would they build a golden calf? Like, what the heck? <clears throat> but I think if we get real honest with ourselves, we're not a whole lot different. So Moses was on the mountain for 40 days, and they got real anxious. They didn't like waiting. Sound familiar? They didn't want to wait. They were waiting for 40 days, and they were like, he might never come back. Maybe he's never going to come. We have to, we have to sacrifice to God. We have to worship God. We have to do something because he could never come back. Moses was their go-between. Moses was their pastor. Moses led them with God out of Egypt, out of their slavery. And he, and God, mind you, God intended for them to all have an intimate relationship with him, but they were too afraid. So they were like, Moses, no, no, you do it. You have the relationship and you tell me how it goes. I'm going to sit over here. I'm going to watch you go into your tent. And, I'm gonna, and then you tell me what he says. Tell me what God says. How, I don't know about you, but I know that, thank you, Jesus, he's been growing and maturing me. But I spent a lot of my Christian years just coming to church on Sunday, waiting to hear what the pastor had to say. I was an Israelite. I only heard the Lord through my pastor. We, are, we have it way better than the Israelites because we totally have the Holy Spirit living with us, but that's a whole other rant. So they created the golden calf and they declared, tomorrow we'll have a feast unto the Lord. Essentially, they were saying, tomorrow we will celebrate and praise and worship this calf, which we are attributing to our God since we don't have Moses here to represent him for us anymore. They reduced God to their graven image to have something to worship and sacrifice to. They praised this calf in place of God because they didn't intimately know or understand the God who had set them free. They couldn't comprehend him, so they reduced him to an image that they could grasp. They did not deny that God saved them. They just made him small so they could understand him. We have done ourselves a disservice by minimizing the king of glory. 
We have made him in our image, dumbed him down into something we can grasp, but he cannot be grasped. King Solomon said, all of the heavens and the earth, there's like no place for you. You're too big. Like how can, we can't, we cannot grasp who he is, the greatness, the unfathomable amazingness of God. So what if, I had a really sweet statue of Jesus that I was going to bring. We got it from Mike's grandpa when he passed away. He had like a garage full of them. And I was going to bring it and it was going to be really good. Mike put it on our fireplace in our room so it watches us sleep. And he jokes and he says it's to keep us accountable. And it makes me nervous. But I forgot Jesus. So Jesus, the real Jesus is going to have to do. It was supposed to be my sweet image. But we have crosses, shrines, statues. We burn candles. We create all these things in our own images of God to represent him for us to worship. But he is not to be reduced to anything man can make. He is to be revered and honored for who he is, not for who we can understand. What about people? Relationships. Your spouse, maybe your kids, your best friend, your pastor, your mentor, your cell leader. Who is it that you turn to when you need comfort? Who is it you turn to when you need strength, when you need peace, joy, love? Have you reduced the God of everything to a mere human in your life? Have you placed someone else on the throne of your heart where Jesus should be? My husband and I did that with each other for a long time, and I can tell you what, it's really a a heavy burden to bear to be someone's God. It's not something we can bear. We want God to understand us and come down to our level of emotional and spiritual maturity when he's calling us higher. He's calling us to higher things, to his level. So let's turn together to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19. You guys are maybe going to have trouble following along unless you have the message version with you because... That's the version I chose, except for these lovely gentlemen hooked you up. Thanks, guys. All right, Romans 1, starting in verse 19, says, But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what they're, with their eyes as such can't see, Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. He doesn't want to be kept a secret from us. That was never his intention. We can look around and we can see him. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, They trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God, who holds the whole world in his hands, for cheap figurines you can buy at a roadside stand. Now you get the Jesus statue, right? Yeah, it was going to be really good. Sorry. We have served God in the image that we've made for him. 
When we truly come into a place of knowing him, we will have entered into the best place that we could ever be. This place is called the fear of the Lord. Write it down. So let's open our Bibles to Psalms 25, verses 12 through 14. This is not in the message, so you can probably follow along with me too. Psalms 25, 12 through 14. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will, Pastor Jake says, you can circle will, underline it, exclamation point it, because that's a promise to you. He will show them the path they should choose. He will guide us, direct us, lead us. They will live in prosperity. We will not live in lack. We will not live in poverty. And their children will inherit the land. This is a promise for generations. You, you fear the Lord? Guess what? Your kids, your grandkids, you're all good. You're set. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. His covenant. Not my covenant. His covenant. When we can humble ourselves and get really honest and realize where we have placed Jesus in our lives, we will then be able to meet the reality of who Jesus actually is. It is then that we can receive the revelation of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord and we can enter into friendship with God. I know that most of you would probably say that you're friends with God. I know when I started this journey, I was like, God's my best friend. Absolutely. But is that what he says about you? I'm going to address this later, so don't be too mad at me yet, even though I've crushed your toes right now. (laughs) Are you friends with the pretty Jesus? The statue is so pretty. Like, I wish you could see it. He's very pretty. He's very blonde. Okay. Are you friends with the pretty Jesus that you created that's comfortable to live with? The cartoon Jesus who doesn't require much inconvenience or change in your lifestyle or perception of the world? Or are you in relationship with the king of glory who in Leviticus 10.3 tells Moses, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. By those who come near me, I must be regarded. You want to get close to God? You must regard him as holy. Before all the people, I must be glorified. Isaiah 33, 5 and 6 tells us that holy fear is the key to God's sure foundation and that it unlocks the treasuries of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. So this is our foundation. Holy fear is the key to God's sure foundation. Construction builds, buildings, you build words, right? Construction begins with a foundation. You can't build a house without a foundation. Am I right? Anybody in here ever built a house, pastors? You needed a foundation, right? Pretty much. I mean, there's a story about some little pigs, and I'm sure they could tell you some things. You need a solid foundation. You cannot build that house 
You cannot build that building. You cannot build that structure without a solid foundation. So a couple weeks ago, I was spending some time with God, and he says, Sarah, you got cracks in your foundation, and I'm going to repair those cracks if you let me. And I was like, what? What do you mean I have cracks in the foundation? I thought we were doing good. We're building this house. We've been steadily building for years now. I've been maturing. I've been growing. I've been giving you whatever. And he's like, yeah. And, and here's the good news is that the house doesn't have to be torn down. I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with that. I recently learned that there's a, a job called structural engineers. Some of you might know. I, don't, I still don't really know what it is. But apparently, if you have a jacked up foundation, and in Chippewa, where I come from, we have a lot of really old homes, and the foundations get old, and they get crumbly, and they need to be repaired. So these people can jack up the house, fix the foundation, put the house back down. It's like magic. I don't even know how they do it. The structural engineers will tell you. But here's the thing. God said, I don't have to tear down your house, Sarah. We don't have to start from scratch. We're not going to go back to the beginning. I don't decrease. I only increase. He said, as long as you can humble yourself, can acknowledge the cracks that are in the foundation, submit those to me, I will repair them. I will repair them. And girl, we're going to build like we've never built before. We're going to add additions on. We're going to go higher skyscrapers. We're going to go longer. We're going to go wider. We're going to do all these things. But I had to humble myself. I had to admit, okay, God, I guess there's something wrong in there. I had to check my heart. I had to check the condition of my heart. And I found broken views of him, broken views of myself, and broken beliefs of his word. Whether it was from my own misinterpretation of it or whether it was from bad teaching, I think... He wants to repair some broken foundations tonight. I think a lot of us have a long history with Jesus, but our houses cannot stand much longer with the storms of life that are not stopping. They are not relenting. The wind is whipping and our houses need a rock solid foundation or the whole thing could quickly come crumbling to the ground. Some of us feel stuck, like we've hit a wall. But could it be that the king has halted building until the cracks in the foundation are repaired? Could it be that in his wisdom, he knows that in your current condition, if building continues, your whole house could just fall, which could be really terrible. I don't know how else to say that. Detrimental. Psalms 34.9 says, Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Again, will. Right, Pastor Jay? He knows what's up. Where the Lord is reverenced, his, manifest, his presence manifests, and where his presence manifests, all of our needs are met. <clears throat> Let me say that again because I jacked it up a little. Where the Lord is reverenced, his presence, mind you, we all have God in us. He's omnipresent, right? That's a real word, right, Wendy? Yep, she knows. Okay. But there's also this thing called the manifest presence of God. And I know that you know it because we experience that here. So where the Lord is reverenced, 
His manifest presence comes, and where his presence manifests, all of our needs are met. There have been two separate occasions in this building where my husband, calling you out, sorry, I'm going to use you a lot, did not raise his hand for prayer. He did not go up front and seek the ministry team. He sat in his seat or he stood next to his chair and the presence of God was so thick in this room that his back pain was immediately healed. He had pulled a muscle the day before in the gym and he was in excruciating pain and he felt the Lord touch his back and he heard a voice say, well, in his mind, he heard a voice say, this is gonna cause you problems and boom, it was gone. Nobody was there, nobody touched him, it was God. How about when he was sitting over there where Mr. Jeremy is sitting? Nobody prayed for him. He didn't ask for prayer. He wasn't looking for anything. He's walking around living with a deaf ear from being in the service. And boom, his ear opens up and he says that it sounds like he's in an auditorium because suddenly he can hear after years of being deaf in one ear. Because... Where the Lord is reverenced, his presence manifests. And where his presence manifests, all of our needs are met. I recently read a biography on Catherine Coleman. And some of you have heard of her, some of you haven't. She's a little strange, but that's probably why I love her so much. Catherine Coleman had an incredible ministry. It was an incredible healing ministry. People were saved by the hundreds, by the thousands. It was incredible. Now, Catherine Coleman was often criticized for her pulpit dresses, which I thought were fabulous. I love bell sleeves. Like, I'm a bell sleeve kind of gal. I couldn't find bell sleeves for tonight. I tried. Sorry. So she was often criticized because she would go and spend a lot of money on these fancy dresses, and she had a lot of dresses. But the girls in the boutiques that she went to were interviewed, And when they were interviewed, they reported that when Catherine Coleman would come in to get a dress, she would be like, all right, I need need a fancy new dress. Uh, You know, I need this. They would bring her a dress, and she would try it on. She'd be like, you expect me to meet with God in this? I'm going before the king. Look at this thing. Give me me something better. This is what you got for I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to stand before God. Give me... Give me the best you have. Because Catherine Coleman, as flawed of a human being as she was, as we all are, she knew the fear of the Lord and she walked in it. She demanded excellence in her ministry. She demanded excellence, not perfection. There's a difference and it's biblical. Okay? Ask Pastor Bob later. (laughs) She demanded excellence in in her services and she demanded that everybody be honorable and because the king is coming. Because the king of glory is coming. We have to get every, like, get this together. Get that together. The king's coming. Like, hurry up. The king is coming. And you know what happened? It's so interesting because she started seeing healing manifest. Healing in her services. And she just wanted to get people saved. She didn't go to Bible school. She didn't know about all this stuff. So when people started getting spontaneously, divinely healed in her services, then she started, she was like, God, I got to study this. Lord, let's study this. Holy Spirit, teach me. And she went to the word of God and she started to study on divine healing. She was like, something's happening and I need to know what it is. She didn't even try. 
She wasn't even trying. She would, she would glorify the Lord. She would talk about how amazing he was. She would sing, how great thou art in every single service. You know what's up. She would talk about the greatness and the glory of God. And, P, and then she would start saying, after she realized people were getting divinely healed, miraculously healed, then she would do a call. And it wasn't a call to come up to get prayer. It was a call to come up and testify how the Lord has touched you tonight. Come up here and testify how you've been healed tonight. And by the hundreds, people would come up, leaving their wheelchairs, leaving their canes. They would be like, I was just sitting there and the Lord healed me. Because where the Lord is reverenced, his presence manifests. And where his presence manifests, all of our needs are met. The Hebrew word for fear in this regard, like reverence, awe, is yira. I looked at two different websites and listened to the pronunciation, so I think I got it. Yira means awe, respect, reverence, and worship. And this is very strongly connected to the word trembling. Yira is beholding something that is beyond one's capabilities and understanding. So I know you guys have been to mountains. Me and Luciana went to a mount. We went to visit my dad in Arizona a couple years back, and we went on top of the, mount, the only mountain we could get on. It was like the tallest mountain in the world, as far as I'm concerned. So we go up on this mountain. We drive as far up as we can, and then we have to hoof it the rest of the way. And we're walking up these, this trail forever, for at least ever. It was at least forever. So it took forever to get to the top of this mountain. It was right on the border of a, the U.S. and Mexico. So I could see all of Mexico, the whole country. I could see all of the U.S., the whole thing. When we got up there, I'm telling you, there wasn't a sound. It was so still. It was so silent. And I was like, wow, I don't hear anything. This is so weird. But I realized that there was air up there. There may have even been wind, but there was nothing for it to blow through. It was just literally just sky and this mountain and us. Standing on top of that mountain, all I wanted to do was like get really low and just be like, okay, like just in case a wind comes and blows me over and I fall off the dang mountain, that's how tall this thing is, right? My knees are trembling and I'm like standing in such awe and wonder at this incredible scene that I'm beholding, but also I'm terrified, right? That's like almost what it's like to have fear of the Lord. It's like a little bit. It's a pretty good picture, if you will. So at the top of that mountain, we were overflowing with both wonder and fear. And I want to tell you, fear of the Lord is not, don't think like fear, like you're going through a haunted house, which I highly suggest you don't ever. They're the worst. That kind of fear caused me to take the emergency exit on two separate occasions. And then I was like, I'm just not doing this anymore. This is pointless. <laughs> Haunted houses are the worst. That kind of fear was awful. That kind of fear kept me up with nightmares. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Save yourself the trouble and the money. That's a different fear than what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is being terrified of being away from God. 
It means that you will respect, honor, submit, obey, do whatever he asks of you in his word or otherwise, because the worst thing imaginable to you is to be separated from him, to be disobedient to him, or to be outside of his will for your life. Those who tremble at his word and presence are quick to obey no matter what the cost. But it isn't anybody else's responsibility but your own to honor God. When you guys come in here, the stage is already set. Worship team has already been practicing, so it's already good, right? It's already, even at cell group, like we do what I call pregame. I got to get myself right because I just was at work. So they've been pregaming. You've got the worship team has been practicing. You've got the prayer team has been pulling on heaven for you. You've got our pastors who've been studying all week, asking the Lord what he wants to share with you today and on Sunday as well. So everything has been set, but it is 100% your responsibility to revere and honor the king. They cannot do it for you. Psalms 89.7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. When we meet here assembling together, it's the king who walks in the door. It's the king who is to be honored and revered. God is a lot of things. He is my daddy. He is my husband. Also you, Mike. He is the lover of my soul. He is, he is sweet and he is tender and he is kind and he is gracious and he saved me and he's, he's, he is my best friend. But he is also the king of glory. And when we assemble here, the king walks in the room. Are you honoring him? Do you hold him in the highest regard or do you treat him as common? When you sit here in your seats and, and you get here, are you just like, oh, yeah, we're doing church. We're going to do church stuff. Maybe the worship team will start. We'll just start singing and doing whatever, maybe. Check my Facebook quick. Oh, is that the king? Yeah, he's here. Cool. He showed up. Or are you on the edge of your seat? Like, oh, my gosh, is he here yet? Is he... Oh, my gosh, he's coming. The king's coming. Bobby, the king is coming. Bobby, tuck your shirt and the king's coming. <laughs> I tucked my shirt in. I don't ever tuck my shirt in, but I did this for you guys. I did it for Jesus. So, where do you rate on the fear of the Lord meter? Are you not sure? I'm going to have some questions here to help you kind of ponder. Do you easily cave to peer pressure or people-pleasing? Are you led by your desire for others to like you? Are you okay if they don't like you? How's your self-esteem? Do you ever fear being exposed as an imposter? Do you change your likes, dislikes, personality, sense of humor, depending on who you're with at the moment? Pastor calls this the chameleon. Do you second guess every decision you make out of fear that others will not agree with you? Are you afraid of being wrong or making mistakes? Do you get easily embarrassed? Are others' opinions of you what makes you feel accepted or valued? Do you ever lie to make yourself look better to others? Are you jealous of others? Do other people easily make you feel angry or depressed? Do you avoid people altogether? Do you hate people? If you said yes to a lot of these, or if you're like me when I started this whole Fear of the Lord journey, and you maybe said yes to a lot of them, 
then you, my friend, are living in the fear of man. You cannot fear the Lord and fear man at the same time. Pastor Shar said last week, she was talking about submitting to the Lord and that scripture that says, and do not conform to the ways of this world and how everybody tends to focus on not conforming. We try so hard, we consume ourselves with, oh, I have to not conform, not conform, not conform, not conform, not conform. But if we would just shift our focus to submitting to the Lord, we wouldn't even have to worry about that because it automatically just comes right? This is the same thing. If we, we don't have to sit and worry about, oh, I don't want to have fear of man. I don't want to care what Bobby thinks of me. Does he think that it's weird that I have curly hair? I don't know. Like, uh, Lucy did my hair. Should I tell him that so he doesn't think I'm weird? Like, oh, you know, if we, we don't have to sit and worry about trying to not have fear of man. If we worry about, well, I don't want to say worry. If we try to grow in our fear of the Lord, the fear of man will just dissipate. It'll just disappear. It'll go away. It gets real dry up here. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you need water all the time. Let's get her a straw. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So you can't have fear of the Lord if you fear man, right? But you can love God and fear man. In fact, you can love God and not fear him at all. I've known Christians, even pastors, who have lost everything their marriages, their families, their ministry, their reputation. Some of them have even decided that they're atheists now and they've walked away from Jesus completely. And I believe that it's because they didn't fear the Lord. I know that these people loved God. I saw them love God. And I thought, how could this happen when I know that they love God? I believe it's because I don't think they feared them, him, God, them. I mean, it's like three. They were not terrified of being away from him, which gave them permission to compromise. They did not have the foundation of reverential fear. They made him fit nicely into their convenient boxes until his precepts barely existed anymore. And I can say this because this was me. I loved God. I loved God my whole life. And I did the worst imaginable things. The things that you say I would never, even in the worst state of my heart, I would never. I did those. I did those. I did those things because I did not fear God. I didn't respect him. He was all grace and mercy and nothing else to me. I knew that, he, that he, I could do whatever I wanted and he would be right there to pick me up. I knew it. That is not fear. It's dishonor. Could you imagine if 
if my husband was like, my wife's a Christian, I can go do whatever I want, she'll forgive me. Oh my gosh, he fears me. <laughs> and rightly he should. <laughs> I'm joking, sort of. But in all reality, he really does have respect for me. In all reality, there was a woman who was hitting on him at the gym, and he started going to the gym two hours earlier every morning at three o'clock in the morning just to protect me, protect our marriage. He wasn't interested in her. He, wasn't, he, he was having no interest there, but he knew, eh, red flags, I need to protect my marriage. I wasn't even there with him. I don't go to the gym. He could have kept going. He could have kept going. But because of the fear and the respect, honor, he honored me. He fears me. So I was talking with some amazing women the other night, and we were solving all the world problems, and we're not theologians, so if what I am about to say offends you, please talk to Pastor Bob and probably Amy. If I'm wrong, please talk to Amy and Pastor Bob because they know all of the things. But we were talking the other night and we were discussing the difference between praise and worship. Chris Akeeler, who I don't think is here, made a comment about, oh, Praise, you know, we do praise and worship, and some, you know, we do the praise, and then we enter into worship. And I was like, huh, praise and worship, there are two different words, huh? It's not praise slash worship, it's praise and worship. So we were solving the world's problems and defining what that meant. Thanks, ladies. So here's what we came up with, or what I left the conversation with. Sorry, guys, if you don't agree. Praise is Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. You've rescued me. You've healed me. You've set me free. You've done this for me. You've done that for me. Praise is typically about me, what he has done for me. But don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. We need to praise him. It's necessary, and it's so important, and it's intended to usher us into the holy of holies where we ultimately begin to truly worship. Worship is where we get into who he is and not what he can do. You are so worthy, God. You are mighty. You are majestic and great. There is none like you. You are unmatched in every way. You are beautiful. You are so wonderful. Praise to me is like love and worship is like fear. They so beautifully go hand in hand and you are truly unbalanced if you're missing one of them. You have to enter into worship. If you stay in the praise hallway, then what happens if your prayer doesn't get answered how you want? What happens if God doesn't do what you think he should do? Do you stop praising? Do you not enter into worship then? Pastor Sher always says it's not about the doing, it's about the whoing. Right? So what happens if you're praying for your daughter and she winds up swallowing a bunch of pills and in a hospital? Does that mean that I stopped trusting God? Because he didn't show up how I expected? Or I prayed and believed and stood on the word of God and I declared it and I decreed it 
that my husband was not going to deploy to Afghanistan. And guess what? He went. He was one of 16 that wound up going. They narrowed that sucker down to 16 people out of hundreds. And my husband was one of the lucky ones. And I was like mad at God because what the heck? I declared, I stood on the word of God. I praised you for this. What the heck, God? Can I say that? I'm sorry. I don't know if I can say that. But I was mad at God because he wasn't doing what I thought he should be doing. So I didn't get in the word. I refused to pray. I I didn't, don't even get me started on worship. I don't want nothing. What am I going to praise a God who doesn't stick to his word? Because I was misinterpreting his word. And I thought he should show up at how I thought his word. You know, like talk about getting a Sharpie with your word. I did that. I had no fear of the Lord. I was stuck in the praise hallway. I was happy to praise him all day. I can dance all night for Jesus. But when it came to magnifying him, making him big in my life, yeah. Psalms 5-7 says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. A lot of wills in there. Notice how it's through his love that we enter his house. And then once we're in there, here comes the fear. We bow down and revere him and worship him and we honor him. You can't be in God's house and not honor him. But thank you, God, that in our in our flawed humanness, his love, his steadfast love draws us into his house. He says, I don't care that you're not perfect. Come on, come into my house. It carries us into the house and that's where we enter the fear of the Lord. Because true worship is anchored in reverent fear of the Lord. Now remember earlier when I probably made some people mad and I asked you if God would call you a friend? Well, if I'm viewing God as my friend, in my view and definition of a friend, this deal looks pretty sweet. Because he is the most steadfast, steadfast, <laughs> yeah, that'll go in the dictionary. Faithful, steadfast, consistent one I've ever known. I can tell him all my secrets and he won't tell you. <laughs> I can call on him day or night. It doesn't matter what the time he never says, oh, my do not disturb is on. <laughs> I, I do it. I put the do not disturb on. It's okay. I'm just a person. I'm not your God. But he's pretty—he's a pretty great friend. He can do—he's—he's he's always there for me. He never fails me. He can't lie to me. I can trust what he says to be real because he's can't lie to me. It's pretty sweet. But does he call me his friend? Psalms twenty-five says that those who fear the Lord, honor Him, submit to Him, and obey Him are His friends. In John fifteen. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Those who tremble at his word and presence are quick to obey him no matter what the cost. That's who his friends are. Now, you can be quick to obey and not tremble. You can be quick to obey and not tremble. It's not in the obedience. The obedience is important. 
but it's not just in the obedience because I did all the right things. Those pastors that I knew who, one of them's not a pastor, he's actually an atheist now. He did all the right things, but he didn't tremble. It's in the trembling. In fact, I believe that the obedience will come naturally once the trembling is there. Like what Pastor Shar said. Don't focus on the doing, focus on the whoing. Right? If we focus on learning who God really is, we will develop a fear of him, a reverential awe and respect of him, and we will therefore want to obey because We'll be afraid to be away from him. We'll be afraid to be outside of his will. So we'll want to do the right things that he has for us. We'll want to follow him. We'll be quick to obey. So here's how you get fear of the Lord. I'm wrapping up, I promise. I'm going to give you four easy steps. You ready? Number one, repent and humble yourself. You have to get honest with yourself about your heart condition. Realize the truth of the image you created for God and the box that you've put him in. And if you're like, I don't know, I can't see, search my heart, oh Lord. Maybe you're perfect. Maybe you already have fear of the Lord and you're really good at it. Tell me all the things that you know. Like, I want to know. Number two, revelation from the Father. Revelation only comes from the Father. You can't just pick it up at Walmart. It only comes from the Father. And like our vision here at World Harvest, it has to be caught. It cannot be taught. You can read about people with fear of the Lord. You can read about all the necessary things and what the definition is and all that. But it's a revelation that only the Father can give you. So now you're like, well, how do I get it then? You're just telling me to do these four things. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Seek him and he will reveal himself to you. James 4, 8 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The ball is in your court. He promises to bring revelation to you if you want it. So seek him and you will find him. Number three. Three. That's from the Tootsie Pops commercial, sorry. Meditate on and pursue the knowledge of the unfathomable greatness of God. My mom knows some really sweet documentaries that will tell you all about the galaxies and the stars and how God, I mean, hey, Lee Strobel makes those A Case for Christ, A Case for a Creator. Those are also excellent books, excellent movies. You want to learn the greatness of God? It's in the Word. You could also read it there. But you can watch these documentaries I love, 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 love watching a documentary that proves how science bows to God, how science bows to the will of God because God made science. It's not anti-God. Science is not anti-God. It's not that you have to have one or the other. It perfectly meshes together because science bows to the will of the Father. So if you don't understand how glorious, great, vast, mighty, unmatched in every way our God is, then how could you fear him? So learn about how great he is. And number four, look for him. Wait for him with expectancy. Notice I didn't say expectation. 
Like, I, like me and Bobby were sitting here watching the door waiting for him. We were looking for him. We're waiting. We know. We expect that the king is going to show up. But we do not have an expectation about how he will show up. Do not put him in a box and have an expectation of what he'll look like, what he'll sound like, what he'll smell like, what he'll taste like. He says, taste and see that I'm good. I'm not being weird. Okay. The king of glory came to his own people and they didn't recognize him. They clung to the prophecies that all pointed to who the Messiah would be. And he stood in front of them and they rejected him because he didn't come in the way that they expected. Can we recognize the one that we profess to know? Can we recognize and honor him when he comes? Or will we reject him because he doesn't show up how we expect him to? Maybe there's somebody who irritates you and comes up and is like, I have a word from you. And you're like, I'm not taking that word. I don't like you. Well, maybe you should hear what they have to say first. Because maybe God's trying to do something. Isaiah 29, 13 says, And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. If you're like me, you don't know what rote means. So I, don't worry, I looked it up. I'll tell you. Rote is mechanical or habitual repetition of something to be learned. It's tradition. It's religion. We're going to wrap this sucker up. Amy, would you mind helping me out? Bring this on home. Thank you. Knew it. When we enter into the fear of the Lord, everything will change. As we begin to grasp the greatness of our God, we will no longer have weak faith and we will begin to see more and more miracles, signs, and wonders. Why? Well, first of all, the word says so, that miracles, signs, and wonders follow those who believe, but also because where the Lord is reverenced, his presence manifests, and where his presence manifests, all of our needs are met. Oh, I'm glad I memorized that. Holy cow. Thanks, God. I didn't write that down again. As we begin to grasp the greatness of God, we will no longer doubt what he can and will do in our lives. We will not find, no, I take that back. We will find ourselves responding to every situation with trust. Every situation, automatic, oh, I trust God. The wind blows, I trust God. My husband gets laid off, cool, I trust God. My mom gets a cancer diagnosis, can't wait to see what God does here. We will become his friend and prove to him that we can be trusted with his secrets. We will forever be locked in a place of wonder and awe, marveling at how fascinating he truly is. And we will see him in all of creation. So if you have treated God, sorry, if you have treated what God calls holy as common, if you have lived with an irreverent attitude toward the things of God, and if tonight you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit through his word, are you ready to repent before the Lord? If so, please stand to your feet.
As you stand, close your eyes and hold out your hands like you're going to receive something. And I'd like to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we love you. We come before you humbled in realizing just how small we are in comparison to the vast and mighty King of all creation. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your kindness to show us where we are being held back from more of you. Father, we repent for making you common, for treating you like you're just another corruptible human, for treating you like you could possibly fail us. Father, we repent for not trusting you and your word. We repent for not submitting our hearts fully to your faithful will. We repent for not seeing the glory in all that you are and all that you've done. Father, we repent for not responding in obedience when you move us to speak or act. We repent for the times we compromised when we knew what we knew to be good and true for that which was wrong because we were afraid and bowed to the fear of man. Lord, we repent for agreeing with the fear of man and allowing it to lead us, guide us, and control us. Holy Spirit, we repent for the times we have grieved you and quenched you out of ritual or tradition or religion. Holy Spirit, we repent for dishonoring you when you've weighed heavy on us and we should have hit our knees but chose to remain standing for fear of man. Holy Spirit, we love you and we want to honor your presence in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come tonight and baptize us in the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Cause our hearts to burn for you, King Jesus. Cause our faces to shine with the reflection of your glory, Lord. Holy Spirit, take us deeper and deeper into the holy place as we cry, holy, 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 as each new facet of the King is revealed to us. Let us never become familiar with you. Let us never cease to revere you and treat you with the honor you deserve. Let our lives be a reflection of this honor as we work to move further and further from the line of compromise and draw closer and closer into intimacy with you, our King, our closest friend. Let us be a trusted friend to you. We love you and we offer ourselves completely to you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I just want to add one thing because I don't want anybody to feel condemned. That is not, that is not what God is trying to do. And so Psalms 8, verse 3, starting in verse 3 says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He is so great and we are so small. And if you're like me, you're thinking, what, what do I possibly have to offer? Your heart. That's all he wants. That's all he wants is your heart. He just wants your love. It's so simple. It's so easy and what a load off. So we're gonna have the ministry up here and if you need prayer for anything, ministry, ministry team. Did I say team? I meant it, I thought about it. 
We're going to have the ministry team come up here. And if you need prayer for anything, I encourage you to come up. And I just want to encourage you, if you've never accepted Jesus, or maybe you have and you've not feared him and you just really feel like that prayer wasn't enough, you need more, come talk to these people and they will pray for you. If you've never accepted Jesus into your heart and you have never made him Lord of your life, there is no more time to waste. This is your sign. God is reaching out to you tonight. He longs for you. He longs for you. He longs to have you in his family. Thank you all for listening to me. I'm so glad that you're all here. I love you all. The end. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any new messages. To learn more or to get connected with us, please visit us at worldharvestusa.com. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time.